and deep in the heart of Texas, it's time to chain fire some freedom with another episode of the Clover Tack Podcast. Listen in as we have a conversation with people from the firearm industry and community. Are you ready for the show? We are too. Let's go. What's up, crew? Welcome to another Clover Tack Podcast. It is June 9th, 2022. Uh, super, super excited about this one. I'll tell you about it a little more here in a second. For those that uh, are in replay, remember out there in replay world, if you do happen to get the opportunity to catch us live, do that. As everybody uh, live comes in, they'll have the ability to ask questions of our guests and participate in the polls if there happens to be one up. As of today, there is. So if you are filing in live, make sure you vote in that poll. Uh, what is the most expensive firearm you own? And uh, options are under 300 bucks, 300 to 500, 500 to 1,000, or over 1,000. And right now we've got uh, leading the poll. It is early, however, but leading the poll is over 1,000. We'll check on that as we move forward toward the end of the hour or so today. We'll finish that out and uh, tally the results, and, yeah, we'll see what happens. So super excited for the uh, conversation today, and I know a lot of you out there probably are too. Uh, back in 2017, I uh, have known about Rock Island Auction for a long time, uh, but back in 2017, I uh, talked with them, got to see a lot of cool stuff uh, at the Wanamaker Tulsa Arms Show, the largest gun show in the world. You need to check that out, put that on your bucket list and make that show twice a year if you can. It's amazing. Uh, but um, yeah, ever since then, I've been trying to get somebody with them on the show and talk about what they do and all of the really cool antique old expensive rare whatever it might be firearms that uh, they've seen come through that auction which is a lot of stuff and finally nailed that down with uh, with joel at uh, nram a couple weeks ago we got him waiting in the wings and uh so yeah should be a really good conversation uh, before we get to that, a quick thank you, shout out, and all that good stuff to the YouTube channel members, the Patreon patrons. By the way, the Launcher Pop poll is up and ready to go for those that are patrons or channel members. So make sure you check your respective uh, post walls or feed or whatever you call it uh, for that. And uh, anybody can join us for that uh, coming up on Monday the 13th. So, um, yeah, but thank you to the YouTube channel members, the Patreon patrons, those that super chat, super thanks, and shop over at clovertack.com slash shop. Now that that's out of the way, let's bring him mm -hmm. in, Joel, from Rock Island Auction. How are you, man? Chris, pretty good. We're uh, we're ramping up for all sorts of auctions coming up this summer. So it's, uh, it's a busy time around here, but it's busy with a lot of guns so it's busy in the best possible way right and a lot of cool stuff that hopefully we can we can talk about moving forward here and uh and yeah. everything that's what i i'm a big fan of as a lot of probably the viewers the followers the folks out there are uh, i'm a big fan of all types of firearms so if you want to see a lot of cool stuff especially following you guys on social media right uh you get to say a lot of cool things for sure yeah, we'll show, uh, try to have a gun pick of the day every single day, whether you're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, any sorts, of, all sorts of good places. There's a subreddit. There's all sorts of things. Right. I don't play around on Reddit much, so bless yeah. you for that, but uh, might not, be my, not my it's thing. And the, <laughs> right. And the Twitters. I don't I don't play around on the Twitters too terribly mm -hmm. much either, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, before we get into the, the company, the firearms, the things like that, let's. Let's talk a little bit about Joel. Let's talk about you. What's your role with uh, Rock Island Auction? Is there a, a history of firearms with you or anything like that? Yeah, quite a bit. Um, most of my interests, of course, you know, you, like I think most of us, you grow up either hunting or target shooting with dad. Um, it turned a little bit more towards the military history aspect. In high school, I got kind of fascinated uh, a lot with World War II and a lot um, less or so, but still pretty interested with uh, Vietnam War. And it just, it kind of never went away. Um, always kind of researching more of the battles. It turned into obviously a lot more uh, firearm specific history. Uh, I mean, through various sources, you, you like what you see in movies or you like what you see in video games and you read about it here and there, these different sources. Uh, but I took this job in uh, 2013 as their, uh, I always love this, as an interactive production manager. Nice. That sounds uh, fancy. Doesn't it though? Uh, I was I'm the I was the only person in the social media department, so I'm not sure who I was managing. 
but they hired me to come on and do social media and write blogs and tend emails and videos and do things like that for them. And uh, it has been uh, an education ever since. You're just learning more all the time. Not that there always always stuff to learn about firearms, but when you're in a building like this and you have the guns that you do come through the doors, it's uh, the opportunities are are rife. Well, I gotta think that you 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 guys probably the things that you do learn are probably very subtle and nuanced things, right? Like we didn't realize there was so few of this model with this particular marking or this particular feature or whatever, just little things like that more than, Oh my gosh, this is a firearm we've never seen. Sure. Um, yeah. A lot of things out there are pretty much uh, known commodities or, or discovered, but every once in a while you get one that, you know, comes out of the woodwork. Um, I know, I know we'll talk about it later, but the grant revolvers, uh, that we just sold a, a couple weeks ago uh, for record money was basically kind of unknown until mm -hmm. 2018 when they showed up at the Las Vegas Antique, uh, Antique Arms Show. Yeah. So there's there's still a lot of stuff out there in attics in you know that people got hold up. Um, we know that there are like engraved Remington new model revolvers from the Civil War. Uh, we had sold some of those. They were um, for Czar I want to say Alexander II that have been presented wow. to him. They're really similar to Grant's revolvers. So we knew those types of things exist, but for those specific ones to come out is just unreal. So you're right. Like we've seen singers before, but you never know when you're going to see like the best one in the world walk through the door. And that's always, that it, it's always fun to see. Yeah. Always the exciting one. Yeah. So as far as the company, as far as Rock Island Auction <laughs> Company, um, I'm sure you're familiar uh, being there as long as you have. Give uh, everybody out there that's listening, give them a little rundown and spiel of, what exactly is it from A to Z that uh, the company does? Sure. Uh, currently, we're the world's largest uh, firearms auction house. Like, period. There's num number one in the world. Um, right. By by substantial margin, you take the next number of competitors and them all together, and it, it's still quite a margin. Um, they were most well-known. To, to interrupt you, why do you think that is? Uh Frankly, we're, we're, we've been really good at it. Um, we've been good at obtaining <laughs> go. yeah. prices. They have not been right. a business that's afraid to innovate. Um, they built their the kind of the backbone of their business on really good photography. So that is true. I guess starting off as it as it turned into an auction house and into those early years, it was really getting, uh, of course, decent guns in and really showing them to people earnestly. You know, no better, no worse than they are taking excellent photography. And being honest in your descriptions, and you know, once you can earn buyer's trust, that that's that goes a long way. Um, right. And of course, taking care of your consigners—that's the two the two halves of it. Uh, right. But they've always they haven't been afraid to innovate. So whether it was really good photography at first, uh, and some of the techniques that they would use, we were one of the I think they were the first in our industry to go to uh, digital photography. Um, any number of things, and just the improvements that they're still continuing to make, whether it's in my department, social media, whether it's in you know, photography, which is, we're still finding ways to produce more auctions. And how do we do that with the same amount of people in the same amount of space? There's, there's, there's been quite a bit of that. Right. Yeah. Uh, we've got a, uh, Ron out there. We'll, we'll do this one. Ron, uh, Ron Wayne out there. Uh, he says, what, 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 what's the most famous slash well-known farm that you've had in an auction before you answer that, Joel, yeah. going back to the, to the grant revolvers hitting those, you yeah. said record money. Were those the most expensive ones that's ever been auctioned by Rock Island? Yes. Yep. Okay. They were the the top dog in our industry. So uh, last uh, last December we sold uh, they call it a garniture set of arms that was that belonged to Napoleon Bonaparte. Wow. They were just you know they're they're half art half weapon. There there was like uh, two pocket pistols, two uh, carriage pistols, what we think of with like dueling pistols. Mm -hmm. uh, one carbine and one sword all done up uh, with the art done by uh, Nicolas Noel Boutet of Paris, who's one of possibly you know, uh, the finest firearms artisans like of all time. He's always in that conversation and always towards the top. And that brought $2.8 million in December. For uh, the set? Yeah, for all six. Okay. <clears throat> for all six and some accompanying paperwork and documents and research and things like, sure. things like that. Um, and then six months later here we are selling the presentation pair revolvers remington new model armies that were presented to ulysses s grant and uh, they were 
they're beautiful. They are belong to one of the most famous Americans, especially when you take it into, you know, uh, 19th century Americans uh, who became president, who's like the highest military rank, who was a national hero, like all these things. So, mm-hmm. and they're beautiful. And they had this bust carved on one side of each of the grips oh, wow. uh, in, ivory, in ivory. And they were done, they were carved by or engraved by LD Nimsky, another fine and well known engraver, one of the best known uh, American engravers. And they sold for uh, $5.17 million. Wow. Okay. So a substantial jump. For us, um, more significantly, a significant jump in firearms collecting in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you remember, and this is a little off topic, but hopefully Ron oh, finds it fascinating. They, uh, I don't, do you remember ever hearing about the million dollar Luger? Yes. Yeah, million dollar Luger. It's one of the the two or three test Lugers in forty five ACP that were supposed to be sent to the United States, mm-hmm. and they are unicorns, right? They're like they're unobtainium. And hence why they were given, this one was given the name of the million dollar Luger, because for an unobtainable firearm, it's this, you know, this unattainable price tag, like nobody's ever going to find it or buy it. Um, And so for a million, for a long time, million dollars for a firearm was significant. And then, but we've done that. We've sold a million dollar firearm annually uh, (laughs) for the last last five years. Right. At least because you're seeking, because you're seeking the quality. Is that what you attribute it to? Or just you, you found better stuff. A little bit of both. And people know they can come here to like people with those items know where they can come and receive the best possible return for their, for these collectibles, for these like extraordinary museum worthy objects. Right. Um, So it's been million dollars, million dollars and treading onto 2 million. Like it's, it's been pretty close. Um, but then I think eight months before us, you know, Pat Garrett's revolver sold for $6 million. Mm-hmm. And then our set of uh, Grant's Remington sells for $5 million. So collector arms, uh, we've said for a long time, they're pretty undervalued. And frankly, they still are compared to, you know, relative to other forms of collecting. Mm-hmm. If you get into art, Ferraris, Rolex watches, heck, even you go to Sotheby's website, you find things like sneakers and purses. And these are selling for millions of dollars. And Andy right. Warhol print sold for $190 million like last month. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, now, that's, that's nuts. Now, when you get these, when you get these things in and after you've got the prom knots for that and, you know, everything else, um, what, what dictates on the vast majority, I know you have the really high end stuff, but that's a little different category than maybe yeah. the lower end stuff. But in general, what dictates the value that's kind of set on those where you think those are going to fall. How do you go about you guys go about kind of determining that? Sure. A lot of time it's just previous sales data. Uh, okay. That'll go a long way. Obviously it doesn't uh, determine everything. It's not the end all be all. We do give a range for estimates for where we've seen similar items sell in the past. Uh, we could do that now because you know we're offering about 40,000 firearms uh, annually. Wow. Is, is where we're up to. So, I mean, there's monthly auctions and, and then there's the big kind of special events. So, we do have a, a pretty nice set of data to pull from when it would determining uh, value for items. Yeah. Now, when it's speaking about, you know, the, the, the lineage, the provenance on that stuff, the vast majority of stuff that you guys see, do, do they already have that or do you have to go through that and, and check it all out and figure it all out and research it? Uh, a lot of times people will have an idea. Very rarely does something come through and we just kind of pick it up and go, Oh, like you did not know what this was like a lot of times maybe <laughs> right that yeah. might happen like someone brings in a you know they're just selling a luger like oh this was my great grandfather's and it's a luger and you know we don't really have a need for it and it turns out to be like a krieg off and you're like uh oh that's you know you just went from a, a thousand dollar item to several thousand dollars uh, of item and right that's always nice um but every it, it's not so much the people usually have a notion like grandpa tells them this well but it's a story so they do a little research then they come to us and think ah this might be something special and and we have a whole team of folks uh who write up our catalogs they write our uh, headlines and descriptions in those catalogs so they're well versed in in researching some of these items we have an excellent library on site for digging things up as well right now the vast majority of the stuff that comes into you guys are they more um lots from an individual like an estate thing or something like that or is it just kind of pieced together here and there 
uh, we, we do get a lot of estates and a lot of collections. Um, a lot of these collections are, um, you know, a wife and we're dealing with an estate or a, a widow and we're dealing with a, with an estate or a lot of times gentlemen, the ones that, that are able to, to let it go beforehand. You know, some people say, I'm never going to sell anything. So you might as well deal with my wife and they set it up beforehand and try to make things really easy. And then right. there's some who, you know, want to help their grandkids go to college or it's time they're not able to ostensibly care for it all anymore. And so they're like, you know right. what, it's really time for somebody else to be the next steward for these, for these items. And, or heck, maybe they just want to fund a retirement and buy a Porsche. Like, yeah, that right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got you. Uh, G webs out there dropping a couple of questions. Thanks for that. Uh, G and by the way, if you're out there listening live, uh, got the, uh, poll up. What is the most expensive firearm you own? Uh, right now we got under, uh, 300 bucks, 300 to 500, 500,000 over a thousand. And it's a 60, 40 split 40% right now on 500,000, 60% over a thousand. And that, that honestly, that doesn't shock me, but vote in that, uh, G webs though, is said uh, over the years being involved in the auction can you see any trends cycling in firearms collecting so do you see any trends you think overall or in specific things even um it's been it's been trending for a while now u.s military arms are hot mm-hmm. they are hot uh i in in reference to your poll if uh if you have a colt 1911 that's you know not a mixed master or reassembled or if you have an m1 garand that's the same you own a firearm over a thousand dollars um, you'd, you'd have to find, like I said, either pretty beat up one or mixed together or just assembled from parts for one of those to be under a thousand dollars anymore. Um, I think of mine, I see your hat, you know, I'm glad I got mine from the CMP several years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and I, I didn't pay a thousand dollars, but it's I think I gave, a fine investment. I think, think I gave five or six for mine. Yeah. Probably. I think I'd pay seven something for a, something I don't remember, and I don't remember if it was rack or service, but it was, you know, it was one of the two. Mine, the upper hand guard is different. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's just a different, it, it, you can tell it's been replaced. Yeah. Um, and that's about the only thing uh, bad, I guess, that you, you've got to say about it. Um, what is G-Web's got several? He says, do, uh, or is asking rather, uh, do, do museums ever bid? Uh, or win rare items. So that's an interesting one. They might, unfortunately, it's not part of the business that I face or, or have access to. Um, and plus we're going to, you know, they, they do like to keep the, the identity of our bidders and consigners pretty, pretty private. You know, we yeah. wouldn't do a whole lot of business if we we're telling everybody who bought <laughs> exactly. what. And, who bought and what? Kind of yeah. Now yeah. I will say uh, they do end up in museums. Uh, several years back, we had sold wow. a, a, a chain mail shirt with some plates kind of where the ribs are that were done in gold it long story short it ended up belonging to like a 14th century egyptian sultan wow uh and it sold for 2.3 million dollars and this is like i said kind of in that time when guns were mm, right around the top we're selling for a million so for the longest time that was the most expensive item we sold mm-hmm. well i don't know if someone bought it and loaned it or what the whole story was but I was cruising through the Rock Island Instagram feed one day, and I see that chainmail shirt on the Arms and Armor page for the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Oh, nice. Which, which by the way, if you don't follow that Instagram account, go. It's just beautiful weapons all the time. Um, and then uh, eventually they had loaned it to the Louvre Museum in Abu Dhabi. So this shirt is like oh, wow. traveling the world. And again, I don't know if someone bought it and donated it to them. I don't know if someone bought it and like loaned it to them or loaned it permanently. I, I don't know right. the specifics, but how awesome to see something in little Rock Island, Illinois, this city on the Mississippi. And now it's in literally like the top museums in the world. Right. Well, you've got to think matter. that people, people that are really wealthy and people that are especially interested in certain things. Uh, I got to think that's something that they do. Right. I mean, that's, that's for somebody that's really wealthy. That wasn't a lot of money, you know, uh, yeah. multi multi-millionaire it wasn't a lot of money uh they bought it they you know whether they donated or whether they loan it it doesn't matter um if they donated they could turn right around and write it off so they had the yeah. the honor and the story of being able to buy something yeah. and then at the same time they were able to turn around and write something off you know yeah. um, and even put it, their name in the museum a lot of times they'll have plaques right, right. on there you know donated by so and so or on loan yep. from so and so 
Yep, and get life probably get lifetime tickets or you know go to all the swanky yeah. events and you know how those things sometimes work with especially the yeah. larger museums. Um, the benefactors is what is what keeps those going. A lot of people don't understand that with museums in general. Um, you know the fees you pay to go in and and look at the exhibits doesn't even begin to cover the cost of you know no. what it is to run a museum or to or let alone to acquire some of those objects. Well, this is true too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's and it's 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 weird. I mean, I don't know what people think. Have you have you guys run into any negativity because something you were auctioning something and they said that needs to be in a museum? Do you do you ever get that sentiment from people sometimes? Uh, only with like every YouTube video, yeah, <laughs> right. right. It's always there, and there's there's their heart's in the right place for that. Like those are people who want those first. They want to see it. I, I get that a hundred percent. Oh yeah. And two, they yeah. want, they want to know it's preserved. Mm-hmm. I get that too. Like those are both. Yeah. I'm on your side. The only problem is, I mean, and this is, you got valid arguments on both sides of the fence for private collectors and for museums and sure. who should have these objects and who should take care of them. And, um, but yeah, we get a lot of people who think they should be in museums, and I understand. And we get a lot of people who are thankful they're not, so that these things can stay in the public marketplace. And then people like us can make videos or take photos or document them for future generations or collectors or for education. And some people right. are happy to have that too. So, yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think there's a place for place for both of it. Uh, Followed up, G Webs here says, uh, hopefully, uh, one you have not revived of a silver four. He said, uh, are there any stories from Rock Island Armory that involve a monkey or a robot? Bonus points if it's both. That's an interesting question. <laughs> a monkey and a robot. Not that I can think of, but now I really want to make one up. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> now, I will say one of the, the most unusual things we got didn't involve monkey or robot, but it did involve outer space. And it was, I was walking oh. through the warehouse and I saw a pair, they weren't Randall knives. They were big case knives, like big case Bowie knives, like monsters. And they had like kind of a white synthetic handle on them. I mean, you could tell it was an ivory or pearl or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were written on this, like in with some of the notes is that these were uh, astronaut knives. All right. And it turns out that case, I, whether it was at the bequest okay. of NASA or whether they just were like, hey, you're going to the moon. You don't know what you're going to find there. Here's some big friggin' knives in case you come up across like a moon man that you need to stab. Right. Um, And they made these, you know, with these lightweight handles and lightweight metals so that astronauts could take them to the moon. I don't know. Just have them in space. Maybe a knife fight aboard the Mir space station. I don't know. But I was always tickled. I was always tickled thinking about Bowie knife fights in outer space. That well, was... I mean, if you if you don't have laser or plasma rifles, I, I'm guessing yeah. phasers, yeah. then you know, in low gravity, zero gravity, you probably want some type of a of a handheld, a, a melee style weapon. I guess that that makes sense. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, speaking of that, you talked about the chainmail earlier. Now we're talking about knives. Yeah. So you guys don't just deal in firearms. I mean, I think you're probably the most popular for that type of thing. Yeah. But what all do you think? Do you handle uh, in auctions? And it may be easier to ask, what do you not handle in auctions? Sure. Um, we handle everything. Uh, it's of course we're most well known for firearms, uh, edged weapons, and military artifacts. Like those are what used to be kind of in our all our web banners and things like that. Uh, those sort of collectibles, and we used to. Still, that's the vast majority of it. But every once in a while, you'll find tanks, uh, military vehicles, a MiG jet once, um, all the sort of art and bronzes and old advertisements that you might find in like a gun guy's gun room. Um, Neat stuff. You never know what you're going to find. Sometimes it's like old girly girl gun advertisements. And sometimes it's like the bronze carvings of Frederick Remington and, and everything in between. Um, and sometimes you get, you know, a widow who says, I don't want any of this stuff and you better take it all or you're not taking any of it. (laughs) Right. Okay. Okay. Like, okay. Not a problem. Ammo cases, you name it, uh, autographed baseballs. Typically we don't do those, but it's one of those weird things that, that come through is oddly enough, 
They were signed by astronauts. They were signed like a baseball signed by Neil Armstrong. Why Neil Armstrong would sign baseball, I'm not sure, but yeah, that's strange. It was. <laughs> so we sell a little bit of everything. And I one point I wanted to make too, because we get known for selling you know the high-end guns. Uh, grants or, or revolvers or John Wayne's revolver or what have you. But I, I would like folks to know we cater, it's just about every level. There's everything from $500 Glocks to, like I said, $5 million revolvers and everything in between. Um, our monthly auctions, those uh, we call them our arms and accessories auctions. Uh -huh. uh, most everybody, if there's somebody taking that poll, they can, your poll, they can, you can do some pretty good shopping at an arms and accessories auction. And we have those once, maybe even twice a month sometimes. Right. Well, you know, you mentioned the, the, you know, the ammo boxes and, and more of the advertising and stuff like that. I've noticed, uh, I talked earlier before you come in about the, uh, the Wanamaker Tulsa Arms show, which you guys have set up there just about every time that I can think of. Yeah. Um, and that place has got tons of that. It's one of the cooler things for me to look at is some of the old advertising pieces, be it magazines, yeah. uh, the posters, the ammo boxes themselves, um, and I think there's a, I think there's a lot bigger markets for that stuff that a lot of people would agree or a lot bigger collector niche, maybe is where I'm going with that. Yeah. You have some that kind of branch off into other areas. Even people who don't necessarily collect guns might like, uh, old advertising or old American advertising or propaganda posters. I, uh, my specialty in, in college was communication. So I love wartime propaganda i think it's just <laughs> right. endlessly fascinating um so i get that and you know we have some pieces coming up that are that are going to bridge the gap between just straight up gun collectors versus collectibles at large so keep the questions coming out there i'm going to flag them guys and uh we'll uh we'll get to them as we move forward so had a talk with you at the the nra show a couple of weeks ago, Joel. And while I was there, of course, I had to eyeball every single thing that was in the cases. Yeah. Um, and if I was ever going to be a thief, um, that would have been the time to do it. I kept thinking, man, how can we kill the power here? And somehow I can, you know, um, you had uh, a uh, Han Solo blaster yes. there, as well as the HKs from Tomb Raider. Yes. There. Um, now, have those since it's only been a couple of weeks. Are those in an upcoming auction or what, what, yep. what state are those in right now? Yep. Actually, everything that was in the booth uh, for the NRA show, we will auction with probably about 26, 2,700 other guns. Uh, that'll be in our August premiere auction. Okay. Okay. And actually, that's what you said, exactly the piece I was referencing. That Han Solo pistol... Who knows what that's going to do at auction? It's this I'll, weird piece that's not just for gun collectors. Now you're bringing in that collectibles yeah. market. You know, the people yeah. who are paying like six figures for a lock of John Lennon's hair. And who who knows? Who knows? What yeah. Han Solo might bring. Yeah, the conversations I had, I had posted a couple of pics on Instagram. And, of course, I, I got into some conversations with several people personally about those because mm -hmm. it was cool. And they said, well, what do you think those would go for? And I'm like, well... I'm like the the solo blaster. It can't be used, um, but you bring in the whole Star Wars fandom and everything else. I'm like, it's got to go for seven figures. You almost got to got to think that it has to, right? Um, and then they're like, well, what about the um, the Lara Croft, the the HK pair? And I'm like, you know, that's an interesting one because I was going to ask you this. Are those straight up prop guns or could those actually be functioning firearms? So I know that H so first of all, the Han Solo blaster did start off life as an original C96. Like correct. That is based yeah. off a of fire. But it's gun. been modified so much at this point, it's a prop. Correct. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, I don't know if they still let it fire blanks even during filming so that actors could have more realistic reactions. Um, there's still some information I Yet to Don't read know. or sort yeah. through for that one. Yeah. Um, the Lara Croft guns are an interesting one. They've definitely, they're real HKs. They have definitely yeah. also been modified to fire blank. So you can, you know, oh. open it up. You can check down there and you can see the barrel kind of like steps from full size to this. And then another width or another diameter of the bore where it's basically BB gun size, which is, of course, to let some gas escape, but provide enough, you know, resistance. The pressure so to the, cycle. Yeah. So it cycles. Wow. Um, but they look like USPs. Now, is that just done? 
strictly through like a barrel chamber? Like, could you switch out a barrel chamber and switch that or have other changes been made to it? I don't know. Well, even um, to be able to run blanks would be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, I don't much. know why you would spend, you know, four, five, six, seven figures on something and then you yeah. know, want to do that. But I know that I've got a lot of old, I'm not a wall hanger guy. Uh, and I'm curious your opinion on this kind of personally, but sure. you know, if I get something, I want it to function. Mm -hmm. um, if I can't find the parts, repair it, get it repaired, anything like that, where it will function, I will usually offload it and move into another project. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not to say that I take my, you know, top, old top break, Iber Johnson revolvers, you know, late 1800, early 1900 revolvers yeah. and shoot high power loads to them. I'm usually shooting yeah. little wax slugs and a primer, right? Mm -hmm. But they, they're, they fire. I could actually mm -hmm. use them and kind of enjoy them and yeah. kind of feel the history. Where do you come down on that as far as hanging something on the wall, putting it in a glass case versus being able to actually fire it and experience it? Sure. I think it, it's largely um, dependent on the gun. I think mm -hmm. some gun, you know, you know, people, um, I don't buy anything. I couldn't fire. That's, that's another good comment, uh, that we get on YouTube sections quite a bit and they're right. And there, there are guns for that. Um, but if say like our, I, we saw it a lot on our, um, when we sold the world record singer, 1911 pistol, mm -hmm. uh, it's a 1911. I guarantee you it functions. It's beautiful. It looks like the day it was issued. It's, it's, it will fire. Uh, right. would I ever fire it? No. Well, but that's uh, a present that's a presentation piece though, right? Well, kind of. I mean, it's standard issue. It looks just like a 1911, except it's got a little like S on the slide. Um, but every time so I guess the nuance of that comes in where if everybody had the mindset that like I'm not gonna fire it or I, I don't buy anything I can't fire, that gun would be fired and it wouldn't exist in that condition today true. for everybody else to right. kind of see and love and appreciate. If you do want to fire a 1911, like there are bajillions of like, you know, $800 1911s that you can go find and shoot until your heart's content and love it. And that's what they're for. Some of these, right. um, or like, uh, what was the, uh, a good uh, FG42. Uh, we had a couple and they sell for top of the lines, like $300,000. You probably could go and fire them. They're going to work. They're old German engineering. Like that's, it's always fantastic. But if you shoot them, every little bit of finish, that comes off every ding, every scratch. It's there forever. You're not going to get that finish back. You're not going to get that gouge out. It's, it's there forever. And then it's, you know, how many times has that happened before, before it's gone forever and not there for people to appreciate, you know, they're not, they're not making any more of them. So I get, I don't have many guns that I won't shoot either. Maybe one or two that are safe Queens, but you still got to take them out every once in a while. I'm not well, that level of gun that, that requires me to never shoot it. I've got some limited edition numbered things mm -hmm. that I've never, I mean, they were factory fired because I've got the thing in the box sure. with them and all of that. So they've been technically, they've been fired, but I've never done it. Uh, so I get them out, takes Instagram pictures and things like that with them occasionally. Uh, yeah. But I've never fired them because, you know, when I bought them, I realized the collectability, the, the rarity, limited yeah. number, that sort of thing, right? And so I, that's why I try to distinguish between the two. If I pick up a, you know, again, an Iver Johnson top break revolver from the late 18, early 1900s, those were a dime a yeah. dozen. You're, I'm sure you're familiar with that. Y'all oh, yeah. see a ton of that old stuff like that. That's the cool thing, though. That's awesome history in that area. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those firearms can be had for dirt cheap. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that fascinates me and i got a lot of that stuff but if like again yeah. if i can't re repair it enough to at least fire wax slugs but we're talking about something if i found one you're right if i yeah. found one brand new in the box i probably at that point i probably wouldn't fire it you know yeah. but if i got one the blues worn off it's got a cracked grip it's you know whatever yeah. the case may be it's like let's get it functioning where i can shoot this thing you know and mm -hmm. have a little fun with it and enjoy yeah. it and you hit, you hit the nail on the head some are and that's why it depends on the gun right some are for like you would want to ruin like a pristine one in the box mm -hmm. and you know, there are other ones you can shoot. So, I mean, those, I find those two things completely compatible. Um, but I know, I know a lot of people don't and, uh, right. that's okay. I'll probably right. read about it in the comments. That's okay. We <laughs> <laughs> well, G was out there. He says he's talking to me, but he says, uh, if you had the number one serial number of some old rifle in perfect condition, unfired, would you shoot it? No, I would not. 
I would no. not. That's yeah, that was the point I was making. It kind of depends on kind of depends on what it is. A lot yeah. more circumstances. Uh yeah, yeah we got some a bunch of like, questions. On on reference to that, we had Winchester 1886 serial number one. It was wow. presented to one of the gentlemen who helped uh who like who accepted Geronimo's surrender that year. It was like a Whoa. new rifle. And <laughs> anyway, it's a big long story, but uh serial number one and it looks beautiful. Would I take it out and shoot it? Nope. It sold for like $1.2 million. And there's yeah. plenty of other 1886s I can get with $1.2 yeah. $1. million that I can right. shoot the heck out of and never worry about it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. Uh, got a lot of questions out here. Now, I've seen something similar to what uh, Swamp Dog is talking about. He's seen a Vampire Hunter set. And I was at the oh, Tulsa yeah. show one time and they had one of those. Uh, have y'all had those come through? And can you tell us any? Like, what are those about? Was that a thing at one time or something? They were, but we're never sure if they were if they were manufactured as novelties. Um, Hopefully they were, it, right? I guess. You find hard to believe that someone would take that seriously, <laughs> but that, you know, right. P.P. Barnum, uh, there, there is a sucker born every minute. And so true. Uh, could someone make money off selling, you know, vampire kits? Sure. Um, they usually have um, some sort of cross in them, some sort of single shot or maybe a double shot pistol, some sort of little Derringer. Um, oh, and a, a bunch of little vials that you're, you know, have marked for either holy water or garlic or you know, whatever else was, was supposed to repel vampires at that time. Maybe even a little right. like silver plated dagger. I know silver's mostly for werewolves, but you know, I'm, not, I'm not the one making the kits, right? Like wooden stakes, uh, crosses. Yeah. 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 Holy yeah. water. But yeah, so we can see them come, come through from time to time. They're always fun to look at. I mean, how can you not love the fact that someone made like a vampire kit and then mm -hmm. decided to make it in a like a book case that like you know you hide it and you put it on your shelf and right just in case a vampire shows yeah. up now <laughs> you're you never that know book. yeah so in, in the, the history this may be something that, that you don't know how old are some of those does that go back a very long time or is that just oh, fairly man. recent so i believe i've seen some with uh percussion single shots Okay. So that, of course, puts it later than like the, oh gosh, the first ones were early 19th century. So 1830s, we might have started seeing them stateside. Wow. I don't know okay. if they were manufactured stateside or were those, you know, come on, we get guns from all, all over the place. So I, I right. should probably pay closer attention to whether those were, where those were manufactured. Um, well, that's not necessarily your job. <laughs> that's true well it's kind of fun to know you know like oh yeah. man these were really big in you know london in the 1850s and like everybody thought they were going to get attacked by a vampire and because some <laughs> right. play came out like right. awesome that's just a neat little piece of history um Vampire, vampires yeah, and a, vampires and apparently moon dragons or something or the uh, you can't be too careful the... <laughs> about sounds like a really awesome movie doesn't it vampires, vampires and, moon, and dragons? moon dragons yeah yeah come well, prepared Sponsored by Barrett. <laughs> right. Uh, MC, I think, has one. I don't, I'm not sure exactly where he's going with this, but I think I know. He says, what items currently available everywhere do you see being collectible, more valuable in 10 years? So I'm going to I'm gonna kind of elaborate on that question a little more. Hopefully mm -hmm. you kind of see where he's going. But what as far as, um, you know, things currently in production or maybe that's been in production fairly recently. Mm -hmm. Have you seen a, a tick up of certain things like that, that you think, oh, man, in 10 or 15 years, these are going to be something worth hanging on to, worth having? Uh, I think U.S. military will continue its trend. Uh, Whatever more, it might be. Yeah. Uh, as younger and younger people who, you know, maybe relate to what their grandfathers video, video, did. video games right that they're using video that in video games not now stop their influence um we're kind of far away from a, like a popular movie like you know saving private ryan or the pacific or band of brothers like uh, but it's not to say another one couldn't come out um but i think most of it is people that age who had grandparents who did serve um you're coming into the tail end of that who are kind of coming into some higher earning years and can afford that stuff Right. That's why you're, you know, the low end for Garens and Colts is like, is it, we're just watching it go up. And I think you see the low end go up. Well, I think it's a matter of time before the medium and high end go up. Uh, and that's for World War II U.S. military specifically. I think um, that same trend will continue and you'll see an increase in Vietnam War era things. Um, not only because of the family member aspect, but as those things uh, become older and start to come out of the woodwork, 
Um, it's it's just really interesting time, which of course are infinitely more scarce than World War II items as well. Like the the U.S. military wasn't just like selling M16s to the CMP. Uh, so that'll it'll be harder. It'll be a harder genre to get into. But I don't think. Um, and because of that you might not see quite the demand because there's not enough supply to kind of help generate it. But um, right. you'll, you'll see some increase in those items. So do you think that, do you think that current firearms are oh. overproduced in such a way that very little, unless it's got some ties to somebody that's famous or whatever, that mm. moving forward into the future, you, you're not really going to see things of the nature that we've seen in the past. Hard to say. Um, things are a lot more produced, but there's there's things that aren't. I guess that's an interesting question. Um, I wonder how that breaks down, like relative to population. You know, if you had uh, how many Spencer carbines were bought by the U.S. government, and those were like at one point, you know, military surplus, and now they're top tier, like 19th century American collectibles. Right. So, if anything, I think it it's interesting to think about. Well, what what might be a right. collectible? in 50 years or you know 160 years that like what today is going to do that is going to be a model 70 winchester i mean those are popular and is going to be the the very first generation glocks because glocks kind of pushed uh you know all the the, the polymer and the those, high capacity those, semi-autos those are have crept up the first gen yes, like the earlier I gen stuff them. i do yeah. see the earlier gen glock stuff now once you get to gen 3 i don't know gen 3 and above yeah um I don't know how that's going to work, but I have seen the prices kind of increase. Everything's yeah. increased, but I've seen the prices on Gen 1, Gen 2 Glock stuff mm -hmm. uh, come up significantly faster than yeah. the the uh, the rise of the, the scare or whatever sure. you want to call the panic buying that we're in now. Yeah, I think it's it'll be like most things. Early ones will still demand a premium. I mean, we just published a blog on Colt Pythons that, that kind of examines this. Colt Pythons as a whole, the value is doing insane things mm -hmm. for a, essentially a custom built revolver um but you look at some of the special ones like first year and second year production right. and you know you got some moonshots on your hand those are yeah. the values for those are absolutely yeah. ridiculous so you're right you, we might have early production glocks be having a higher value and i'm sure somewhere down the line like most things like ah they don't make them like they used to and um uh -huh. those early glocks are the way to go and but the first and second year productions are huge um, yeah. I had one other thought too on the, like, where's collecting going in 10 years. Mm. And I think hopefully we've seen a good part of it where and this is part of our job as Rock Island auction company is to get more people interested in to collector firearms. Mm -hmm. I think they're doing a great job by advertising in markets that typically haven't been advertised to and pitching yes. to other people who appreciate these sort of hard asset, you know, alternative investments. Some people do, mm -hmm. you know, gold or art and really getting, look at the art on this gun. I mean, we have it on so many of our yeah. slogans and advertisements. Not all art is framed and it's yep. bringing some of these people into the fold who can appreciate and curate and take care of these items, which also helps like drive collecting as, as a more and more legitimate mm -hmm. form of collecting because I mean, you buy guns of, of that caliber, no pun intended, uh, right. the values aren't going down. Yeah. Uh, if, if the last nine months has showed us anything and it's, it's kind of exciting to see where it's going to go. Uh, as those as those people like come into the the firearms collecting fold. Mm -hmm. Now you know you talk about reaching out and the marketing and in that aspect. Yeah. Uh, and in mind went to your guy your guys' presence at the uh, Wanamaker Tulsa Arms Show. Do yeah. you know how long y'all been making shows there? Oh, since since I've been here and before really? that. So and I've been here okay. like I said um, over nine years. Because there's a lot been... of collector associations. There's a mm -hmm. lot of really high-end stuff at that show and oh, i think yeah. it the first time i seen you guys there well i don't want to say the first time because that's the first time i'd ever been but yeah. probably by the second time i'd already experienced just how awesome i mean at one time there was like and there's not that many colt walker revolvers around and there was like eight mm -hmm. at that show one year Man. it was insane right that's awesome. and i'm thinking that's awesome. with the level with the level of stuff at that show it makes sense that you guys would be there you know, oh, yeah, because and, you may have people that are wanting to get them into an auction, or maybe they're wanting to buy something else that's yeah. rare that you guys have. Yeah, that's uh, we do dozens of shows every year. Um, Tulsa's obviously the 
one of the biggest, uh, not only in, in attendance, but also in just sheer square footage of guns. 11, 11 um, acres, yeah. But you hit it on the head. We're there to, one, kind of tell people about who we are and what we do, which is, oh, maybe they have a gun they'd like to consign and just to, of course, show off the good stuff that's coming up. And maybe you want to maybe you want to add something to the collection. So we're that's why we're always there, just kind of spreading the good word. But we'll hit up uh, Tulsa, of course, NRA, Dallas Safari Convention. That's kind of one of those things where you don't normally think of as like a true gun show, but that's a room full of hunters firing and and hunters high end people, excellent people firearms. have money. Yeah, people yeah, have money. Yeah. Money enough to take trips and can purchase some fine yep. arms. Um Southern side by side Colt Collector show. So like the Denver show, Las Vegas Antique Arms. Um I mean just all, all sorts of sharp collectors we've been to before. Any any number of them. This it's pretty good. And they're always looking for different new places to go where we have been before and they're well attended. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll be there. Usually just a matter of time. Yeah. Right. Uh, G webs out there, uh, going back to the whole vampire kit says vampire kits were the go bags (laughs) of their day. Probably. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. That that works. A go bag with a vial (laughs) of holy water and garlic. Hey man, whatever. I mean, everybody uh, gets thirsty. Everybody it doesn't take up much space in your no. in your in your bug out for holy water and and garlic. So come on, people, step I've it up. I've always said that. I've always said that. <laughs> I mean, you got to have water to drink, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and mm-hmm. even if you shoot a squirrel, you got to season it with something. So there you go. You got the garlic. Maybe right? maybe life straw could work on that. They could get like a filter that just filters in the holy water. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, for, I don't know how they go back. For the for the holiest of go bags. <laughs> That's pretty neat. <laughs> um, so Ting Ting, he says, I have a question. He said, Is there a fist slam activated gun like in the movie Inglorious oh, yeah. Bastards? So uh we can put that on the screen, but yeah. um there is. So that's there is. I think. we have a we have a YouTube video on it. It's the the Sedgley glove gun. Um, and it's exactly what it looks like in Inglorious Bastards. It's I've seen a couple different ways in which they open to that's accept not, the cartridge. That's not the one from the movie. Y'all have the video on, right? Correct. No, it's just uh, one we had in. It was a Sedgley. I think it was a Sedgley Mark IV is what they call it. And Sedgley, he invented a, a good number of things. I don't remember the exact scope of his work. Um, like this was for the Navy for some reason. I think he was working with the Navy because they're they have that on there. Um, but every time you hear about it being used, it's supposed to be for, you know, men by the wire or outside the wire who would be sleeping perhaps in a trench or foxhole. And if they were taken by surprise, could they don't have to reach for a gun. You just reach up and like punch a guy in the chest and he gets, you know, a 38 round um, right. for his for his efforts. Uh, the original patent shows it chambered in 410 for oh, 410 wow. shell. So that would be. I don't. I think that would be much more effective. I don't know why they got away from that, but uh, right. Oh, yeah, essentially glove guns. Those are a, those are a fun little piece of curio. Real quick, I, I misgendered Ting Ting. Ting Ting is a she. So my apologies. My apologies. There, I knew that as soon as I said it. And they they got onto me in the chat. They're like, "It's a she, not a he." Like, I got it. I got it. Um, since we went back to the to the movie gun thing, yeah. Um, how often do you guys get movie guns, movie props, that sort of thing through the auction house? Not a ton. Uh, and when we really? do, of course, they they usually they make their presence felt. Um, I think the last so we have lots of them that are owned by celebrities. Um, that last auction we had, oh, we've had Frank Sinatra's uh, Smith and Wesson. I think it was a nineteen three, right? Uh, Three fifty seven. We've had guns from Sammy Davis Jr., Ronald Reagan. JFK, but it, those aren't really movie guns. They're just kind of more celebrity guns. Um, I think the last big movie gun we got, um, and we made, of course, we had to make a video on it, was uh, John Wayne's revolver from True Grit. Okay. Which is, uh, I mean, awesome, especially with you know, yeah, the recent remakes with the Coen brothers. Uh, right. So just fantastic movie. Just fantastic wow. movie. And um, to see it documented in so many different ways. And there he is on the cover of like, I think it was Time Magazine or Life Magazine with like it's just sitting on his hip, and you're like, "That's that's that gun. That's yeah, that's pretty cool." So it's it's right. it's kind of yeah. fun getting starstruck by some of these things. Oh yeah, I'm sure it is. Uh, looks like PW Woods has got a rapid fire. We'll we'll do this. We'll do this. All this right. will be fun. 
I'm ready. So, uh, PW says, what's the oldest item that y'all have ever, that you've ever sold? It could be a firearm or not, I guess. He says, Adam. Sure. I would put it in the range of probably of some of those early firearms, like hand cannons or early crossbows. Um, of course, both of which precede what we would consider firearms today with like a trigger mechanism. Um, the crossbows kind of have that, uh, just a lever, like a squeeze lever, uh, or a serpentine. That's what I'm looking for. Um, and then hand cannons, of course, are just a thing you hold on to with like, I've seen with as many as nine barrels that have just like a single touch hole on the back, um, and fires from there. Um, some of them, of course, were made to be mounted to lances. So you had fire lances as well. Um, I'm not, so the hand cannon would predate a fire lance, but those would be some of the earliest ones that we've probably ever seen. Wow. Nice. You know, good old, good old powder patch and ball. Right. Right. Yep. Uh, that he's got here. He says, what's the oldest one? He says, that, oh, wait, that was the oldest. What did I ask? He's the weirdest. I me I messed up. The last one he asked was the weirdest. Right. He said, what's the weirdest? Uh, so we covered the oldest. So what is the weirdest yeah. you would say? Weirdest ones. I mean, the astronaut knives got to be up there. Um, frankly, yeah, I'm always that's a why, right? That's a why. Like why, why does an astronaut need a buoy knife? Like uh, why? why not? I guess. America. The correct answer is America. That's the correct answer. It is a Bowie knife. We'll we'll accept that. <laughs> um, weird. That's a really good question. I mean, those are up there. I'm always, frankly, astounded by the things, and I, I don't want to get you banned on YouTube. So I will say that come out of World War II Germany, uh -huh. um, those guys, in addition well, to, you know, making things that were really, really well engineered tanks rifles pistols like everything was done like to a t like a watch um they spent probably way too much time making presentation stuff for themselves um yeah ss napkin rings uh, <laughs> yeah, why, why? like golden <laughs> candelabras tapestries sculptures bronzes like they they really enjoyed you know the scent of their own stuff if if you know what i mean yeah and you can't yeah. help but think like maybe maybe if you guys had spent less time trying to you know present at each other with every single you know glittering gold piece that you could that you could get your hands on you right might have prolonged some efforts a little more but some allied efforts but i i'm just always so astonished well, i'm like you know for for a long time i've heard military historians and other people tell say that the the germans would have done better had they not over designed everything too. I mean it worked for the Russians, and, right? And it goes and it goes into what you're you're talking about. Mm -hmm. They spent time making candle mm -hmm. holders and napkin yeah. holders and stuff. Why why are you why are you messing with that? It's do something, if it works, get it out there and let's go, right? Yeah. I mean it worked for the Russians with their T thirty four tanks. You look at those welds, like sometimes the corners don't even meet. <laughs> right. Like yeah, right. tank is fine, and they get it like off the line, and it's going to yeah. go kill some Nazis. It's going to get um, shot anyway, right? It's like yeah. it's going to get shot and bombed it's, it's anyway. It's going to be a Panzer it's tank, and we need ten of them. So here's one. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. I mean, it, it worked. Conversely, it also worked for the British. You know, you have things like uh, a Sten gun. You have things, or even mm -hmm. countries with last ditch effort rifles. Like the there's something to be said for for victory through volume of firepower. And unfortunately, a lot of them discover it only too late. But right, yeah. Uh, speaking of the YouTube thing, for those that don't know, and this gives me gives me a good opportunity to say these podcasts are not monetized, and uh, part of that so that we don't have to worry about talking about what we talk about. Uh, and uh, special thanks to the Patreon patrons, the YouTube channel members, those that super chat, those that super thanks, and those that shop clovertech.com slash shop, which I've said all that before, because that helps to make these uh, keep these going. To that, I'm going to get a little morbid with you. Since we went down this road, you said YouTube and talking about things. Let's go morbid here because I like <laughs> I like knowing what models were used for certain tragic things. Does that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Hinkley, uh, Booth. Mm -hmm. You pick the you pick the person, right? Yeah. Um, does anything like that ever come through the auction? Some something fairly morbid like that. Yes, but thankfully, since those events are rare, um, not as often. Right, I can't obviously, remember. Obviously, the well, there name. has to be some pretty major historical significance to that, right? 
Yeah. 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 I can't remember of there was a congressman who survived an assassination attempt, I want to say in the 60s, and I just can't think of his name right now to save my life. Um, Jack McCarjack. And somebody anyway, there, we had, somebody we had that. Chat, man. Yeah, I know. Come on, chat group. Let's. Uh, <laughs> but we had that come through. We had the, the revolver that was used in his uh, attempted assassination come through. I think that's been the closest one. Okay. Um, Is that the most modern? I'm sure. Yeah, it was a it's just a little you know DA revolver, yeah. which were so nothing which, like drive-bys with wrappers or nothing crazy like that. No, we haven't we haven't had any with sort of a a, a dark past, if you will, at least not for a celebrity. I'm right. sure any number of those military surplus pieces in a preview. Oh, hall, there's no doubt, right? And, and some, even there's the, some bodies on them. And even sure. the ones I was talking about, right? The the late 1900, early hey, late 1800, early 1900 you know, 32s, 38s, you know, yeah. it's like you pick those up. And like I said, they're a cheap piece of Americana, but let's be honest. How many people had those in their boot in the beer joints or the poker halls or the what? You yeah. don't know what happened with that. It's like, no, don't. seriously. And a lot of that old stuff that's pre 68, a lot of that stuff um, that you see the old stuff like that doesn't have a serial number. So it's like, there's really no way to, to trace it, to know if something happened yeah. and, you know, you're only a criminal if you get caught. That's what they say, right? Yeah. So um, who knows what it could have done. And that's part of the fun, not the morbid aspect of it, but that's part yeah. of the fun is thinking about the possibilities of the of the history. You know, how many, even if you're talking a long rifle or a shotgun, it's like, you know, how many, how much food was put on the table, right? What kind of yeah. critters were, were, were shot, tried to get into the chicken house with this thing back in the day? Now, there have been a few. Uh, of course, we've had some, a gun come through just a couple weeks ago that was property of Wild Bill Hickok. Um, oh, wow. We actually have another one in May, as you saw in the booth, for uh, Wild Bill Hickok. That one's a Smith & Wesson, though. Uh, not the the well-known, you know, 51 navies that he that he carried. That was one we sold in May. Um, there was a revolver. Boy, like when I first started, uh, it belonged to long-haired Jim Courtright, um, who was killed by Luke Short in a pretty famous Wild West shootout. So there have been... There have been a couple items through there, and there's items with some obviously good stories, and those are what I like to find. If you watch our YouTube right. channel, uh, Kevin Hogan, our president, he his videos will focus specifically on collecting and why this particular gun is significant, and um, he just he just has that knowledge base behind him. I myself, boy, I'm, I'm like you. I kind of like to find those guns with a story and tell them, or an unassuming gun, a gun doesn't look like much, but man, the background behind it is just so cool, and and people need right. to know about that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, without a doubt. Um, PW following up and we're getting up at the top of the uh, hour. So by the way, check out the, the poll out there. If you haven't already, I'm going to close it out here shortly. So if you are live, what is the most expensive firearm you own under 300, 300 to 500, 500, a thousand or over a thousand, uh, still sitting at, uh, with quite a few votes still sitting at uh, 38%, 500, a thousand. 62% over a thousand. So that's kind of cool to see. Uh, we've got some connoisseurs, so to speak. Nobody out there with cheap stuff, apparently. But uh, yeah, voting that, we'll close that out. Yeah, PNW, uh, Joel, he says, What is your favorite gun? And he says, Favorites define however you want it. I mean, I think the coolest gun that I've seen, one I always cite as my favorite, is um, it's got a really, really long story. So I won't go into it here. Uh, but it's a, it was a Smith & Wesson that uh, was engraved for the Columbian Exposition in Chicago, so the World's Fair in uh, 1893. Nice. Um, from there, it was bought, I believe, by the gentleman Rex, and his last name eludes me. But he um, like basically built the fourth iteration of Madison Square Garden. He formed the New York Rangers <laughs> hockey team. Wow. And he did a lot of gold prospecting, or at least investing in mines out west. And uh, long story short, he gave it to a guy who has a just amazing story all his own, Claude Inman, who was a sheriff in one of those gold mining towns. It was actually Goldfield, Nevada was what it turned into. Um, and he gave it to Claude Inman when he retired. But before he did, they put Tiffany snakeskin grips on it. Um, Whoa. So it's this beautiful Smith & Wesson that went from the World's Fair to this, you know, prolific business magnate on the East Coast to a town called like Grandpa Nevada, some gold town, you know, some boom town where this guy helped 
clean up right. shop. Um, and he had that revolver the rest of his life. And it's absolutely beautiful. The engraving is super distinct. It's not what we think of when it's like with regular scroll work, which is all very beautiful, but this is so distinct. It's a, it's a really refreshing kind of touch. Um, and the gold inlays, it's just, it's just an incredible story and a beautiful gun. And I'm kind of partial to Smith and Wesson. So it, uh, it hits the trifecta. Right. There you go. Uh, Swap Dog out there uh, said uh, 72. Wallace. Uh, yes. On, Thank you, Swamp Dog. George Wallace. Governor George Wallace, he says. It was. So, Senator, yeah. here I was. Yep. So there we yes, go. Yes, that is the one. It is the, it is the revolver. Uh, it was a dirty politician either way. <laughs> yeah. uh, like, well, he so, said he was a politician. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, so G-Webs, you know, we, we were talking about collectability in the future mm -hmm. and stuff earlier. I don't know how much you follow NFTs. You know, you had mm -hmm. cryptocurrency and now you've got oh, yeah. you've got the blockchain and now you've got NFTs. There's been this idea floating around about having collectible NFTs. So, like, mm -hmm. you can't own, let's say, the revolver you were just talking about or mm -hmm. the one with George Wallace or whatever. But you could own an NFT, a limited NFT of that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, do you think that has merit? Do you think that might ever go anywhere? Or is that any kind of conversations, NFTs? I don't want to get off into the NFT thing. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Uh, but is that a conversation you were talking about Rock Island Army, you know, pushing the uh, Rock Island auction, excuse me, pushing the oh, yeah. uh, boundaries? Uh, is that something that's been talked about by you guys before? Um, I would love to. I just got, there's a couple other, I think, easier or, or more basic like projects in front that, that I'd love to hand on first. For example, uh, we just hired uh, a new videographer for our social media department. So our video department is going to be expanding in the future. Nice. Um, I'd say with well before the end of the year, uh, you're going to see a customer-facing merchandise store. So we'll start having some Rock Island Auction Company merchandise available. Nice. Um, would NFTs, are they a stretch from that? Nope, I don't think so. Um, and Rock Island, like I mentioned earlier, has always been innovative. So I don't I don't think that would be off the radar whatsoever. Uh, it would just be, you know, somebody here willing to investigate a feasible way to create those and to make a, you know, a quality thing that that people would actually want right. to own, not just the the bragging rights to say they own. Right. No, I totally, I totally mm -hmm. agree. And uh, speaking of videos, I know you mentioned the YouTube channel several times. I noticed. Mm -hmm. For those out there watching live or in replay, I noticed I did not have a link to that down in the description below. So wherever you're at watching, listening at this point, I did edit that while Joel was talking. And uh, we've got that YouTube channel below as well as all their other social media. Definitely make sure to check all that out because there's lots of cool stuff to look at. You can your eyeballs will go uh, uh, go numb watching all of that stuff. Um we're up against the, the top of the hour, Joel. So I'm going to yeah. give you uh, a second here just to say, did we miss anything? Is there anything coming in that you said, hey, I want to talk about this, but we haven't talked about that. Can you think of anything? No, the big auctions are, uh, you know, we covered the the kind of the fun stuff that's coming in. Han Solo's Blaster, Lara Croft's Pistols. There's a Winchester 100 Again, I mean, with only six known to exist, to have another one in two auctions back-to-back -back is pretty nuts. Whoa. Uh, Winchester 1-1000. -1 but again, like like we mentioned at the at the top of the hour, it's not. I just want to reiterate, it's not just big guns. Uh, we hear so much on our posts and our things that like, oh, I could never afford to shop at Rock Island Auction Company. Yes, yes, you can. There's uh, <laughs> our monthly arms and accessories auctions, and there's our sporting and collector auctions, which not only are what I like to call uh, kind of entry level collectibles. You know, it won't be a pristine Henry, but you can still get a Henry rifle there. Um, yeah. And so there's. Uh, Entry-level collectibles, but all sorts of usable stuff, too. You know, you need a pre-64 Model 70, great. You need a shooter-grade 1911, awesome. You need, you know, 870 with a poly choke, yeah, it's going to have that, too. Like, uh, or just old Milserp, like weird Milserp you never thought you'd find anywhere. Boy, you know what? I have been wanting to get my hand on a SVT-40. Okay. Yeah, it'll have that, too. Um, right. So it's, it is something for everybody. I just urge everybody to check out the website. There's always an auction up on the webpage. Right now, I think there's, well, there's two right now. Awesome. Good stuff. And you yeah. said something uh, in the email where we were chatting about something big coming in in August, correct? I don't know if you can talk about that, but. Oh, maybe just the, the Han Solo blaster. Um, that's that's kind of the big dog right now, again, okay. just because it's okay. spanning that bridge between you know people who do other collectibles and, and firearms. That should be uh, that's kind of the one on everybody's radar right now. Uh, right. Oh, yeah, I, I can see. I can definitely see why. Uh, Joel, 
I want to want to thank you. I do want to encourage people again. Links below and all that good stuff. Go check it out. A lot of cool things going on. Uh, moving forward, Joel, you're you're welcome to come back if there's things in the future hey, that you want to jump on, talk about, uh, whatever it might be. Let me know and uh, would love to have you back. I'd love to. It's been the best part of my week, so I, I hope to soon. So I'm ending the poll out there now. And, of course, YouTube is going to be slow and take forever to give me the results. But here it is. What is the most expensive firearm you own? Zero, uh, under 300, zero percent. 300 to 500, zero percent. Uh, 500 to 1,000 is 36 percent. And with the majority at 63 percent, we've got over a grand so congratulations on uh those of you out there that have some probably some nice firearms in your collection that's awesome um as for this one we are out of here we're done so until next time don't forget to change fire freedom we appreciate the patreon patrons and youtube channel members who keep these podcasts going if you're looking for cool stickers patches and other gear be sure to check out clovertack.com. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Clovertack Podcast.